Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Streaming Water Podcast. Thanks for listening today. I'm your host, Blair Corning. And on this episode, we have John Rearing, uh, engineer, who's here to talk to us today about direct potable reuse and a, uh, a demonstration uh, a trailer or effort associated with direct potable reuse. So thanks for being here, John. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on the show. All right. Well, can you uh, start us off here with, with an introduction of yourself, uh, what you do on a daily basis and, uh, you know, how you got to this point in your career and even some hobbies and interests that you have? Okay. Sounds good. Um, so I work for Corolla Engineers uh, in Broomfield and I've been in the business about 30 years. Um, grew up in Wisconsin, I had a brief career working at IBM making circuit boards, if you can believe that. I don't do a lot of that here anymore. Uh, and then I ended up at the University of Colorado and uh, have stayed around here ever since. Uh, been at Corolla about 11 years and um, do a lot of water supply planning work and water reuse. I've been doing reuse work really since the late 90s when we first issued the non-potable reuse regs in Colorado and then evolving into potable reuse the last few years. Uh, hobbies, uh, I like running, I like skiing, I like making beer with purified recycled water and then drinking it. Um, lots of different things. A lot yeah, of I guess, I, typical Colorado things. Yeah, I like I like that last one too. I <laughs> drinking uh, beer, whether it's recycled water or just plain water, I think is good too. Well, well you know, uh, there's a, a group up in uh, the Portland area that's made um, some beer with recycled water. They're actually the pioneers in it, and they've got a saying that all water aspires to be beer. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that's good. All right. Well, now it's time for the interesting question. So what I came up with today is uh, what's the most boring superhero that you can come up with? If you had a, a, a pick a create a boring superhero, what would it be? Uh, one that I would come up with or one that's out there already? Uh, one that you would come up with, I would say, or if there's one out there already that you think is particularly boring. either or either or. Got it. So I'm uh, really I don't follow superheroes of that closely. So I had to do the phone a friend option on this one All right. and I did. So I, I asked my daughter um, and she said, well, the most boring one that's out there is Hawkeye uh, because he only shoots arrows and that's uh, in her words, pretty lame. Yeah, I could see that. I've never thought about that, but that's true. All he does is just shoot arrows. No, no special power. Doesn't All right. seem that special. Hawkeye. I thought it would be like uh, the one I was thinking of was like a plans examiner man something you know where they just uh, that's their special power they can really examine plans you know in detail <laughs> well and uh, one that's not boring uh though along those same lines is sewer man uh, oh yeah sewer man mm -hmm. yeah. all right well let's get into some questions and talk about the the topic at hand here john thanks again for being here and uh bringing your knowledge of dpr which i know i don't allow uh acronyms on the show i might make an exception for dpr since that is almost in the the mainstream but anyway why don't you tell the listener and me what what dpr is the definition of it and how it fits into colorado's uh water landscape uh, sure thing so let's get the acronym out of the way first dpr is direct potable reuse uh, and that's some specific terms that have some specific meanings um, there's different types of reuse out there uh, arguably some folks will uh, say that there's de facto reuse, which is essentially recognizing the fact that 
almost every water intake is downstream of somebody else's wastewater discharge. Even here in Colorado, you know, very few systems are not downstream of another discharge. So that's de facto reuse, and that's been going on, of course, for years and years, and just unacknowledged and not intentional. Uh, there's also non-potable reuse, which means treating the wastewater to a quality that's suitable for purposes like irrigation or industrial uses or uh, dust control, those types of things that really don't need potable quality water. And that's been going on since about the 1960s here in Colorado. Uh, for example, City of Aurora and Colorado Springs Utilities were some of the pioneers uh, going back to the 1960s for non-potable reuse for those types of uses, power plant, cooling water, irrigation, uh, all of those. More recently, uh, potable reuse has become more prominent in recent years. And there's two different ways that you can uh, categorize potable reuse or do potable reuse. But both of them involve essentially taking wastewater, treating it, cleaning it to the point where it is potable quality, meeting potable standards, and then suitable for distribution along with the regular potable water supply through the same pipes. So there's indirect potable reuse. And indirect potable reuse involves treating wastewater like we normally would, essentially to discharge standards, and then releasing it into the environment, either into a receiving water like a stream or river or a reservoir, or recharging groundwater with it. And you may need to clean it up a little bit more um, in order to recharge groundwater to meet the groundwater standards. But then picking that back up somewhere downstream or down gradient, recovering that water, and then treating it, purifying it to drinking water standards. So that's indirect potable reuse because it's going through that environmental buffer, through the receiving water or the aquifer before being recovered for potable supply. In contrast, direct potable reuse skips that step and goes directly to the advanced water purification facility. And from there, then it's potable quality and goes out to distribution. So it doesn't go through that environmental buffer uh, between uh, the treatment steps. All right. Yeah, that uh, that environmental buffer seems to seems to be huge. I mean, the, the difference between putting it in a pond and then taking it out for drinking water and skipping that pond step, although, you know, it's, there's probably not a lot of difference, but I think, do you find in the public's mind that that is a huge difference or is it uh, that one of the challenges of, or I guess, what are the challenges of direct potable reuse, getting it, uh, people to understand it? Yeah, definitely. When uh, water gets withdrawn from a stream or from an aquifer, uh, then it, it tends to lose its color, if you will, in the public's mind, uh, that there's that perception that it came from nature and you kind of lose the, the history of it uh, when it comes from something that looks like a natural source, even if it was intentionally augmented with recycled water. Um, we There's a saying that was coined uh, by a guy named Dr. Lucas Van Buren a long time ago, who said water should be judged uh, not by its history, but by its quality. And there's a lot to that, right? We're purifying the water. We're meeting the drinking water steps. It doesn't matter where it's been. In fact, all water is recycled. Yeah. Today, we're drinking the same water as the dinosaurs, right? We're not making new water. And, and reuse doesn't make any new water. It just helps us use it more efficiently. Yeah. Well, can you, uh, talking about the technology and the, the treatment processes that are available to take us from, or to take water from non-potable to potable, can you just take us through the process of, of what that looks like as far as, as, as how you do that, how you treat it to, to make it drinking water quality? Sure thing. So first off, we've got already really good 
uh, wastewater treatment plants or water resource recovery facilities in the state of Colorado and across the West who are already doing a really good job of treating water and removing a lot of the things that we'd be concerned about. Uh, for example, one of the things we're worried about in drinking water is nitrates. And so many of the plants across Colorado uh, in the Front Range are already removing nitrogen down to the point where we don't need to worry about nitrates that's below the drinking water standard. And that's already for discharging to receiving waters. And a lot of that is driven by the fact that there are some downstream users of that water for potable supply. So recognizing that through the water quality standards. Uh, so when we're looking at taking recycled water and purifying it to drinking water standards or quality, we worry primarily about two categories of things. We worry about pathogens, which are something that can make people acutely sick right, almost instantaneously upon drinking the water. We also worry about chemical constituents, and a lot of those are more chronic types of concerns, carcinogens, uh, other things that we might have uh, more of an effect that we'd worry about over a lifetime of drinking the water, less so you know, than an acute thing uh, like a pathogen. So we worry about pathogens, we worry about chemical constituents. And the, the good news is for Colorado is that the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment has been very active in developing regulations for direct potable reuse. In fact, they're set to have a rulemaking hearing on that in October this year. And if that rulemaking hearing goes well, then we'll have regulatory guidance or regulatory requirements, which is great because then we'll know what the rules are. So if you want to consider doing a potable reuse, or if you're actually implementing a project, you'll know exactly what's required. And then you can think through what the requirements are in terms of treatment technologies, uh, the costs to do it, and maybe compare those costs to other alternatives and so forth. So those regs are, are underway, um, should be passed in October if all goes well. And that's great because that's going to be in advance of anyone doing direct potable reuse in Colorado, rather than scrambling, you know, when somebody says, hey, I'm ready to do this and scrambling and trying to do that um, quickly, we've taken the time, the state has really done a great job of proactively going out there taking the time, getting all kinds of great stakeholder input to establish what those rules ought to look like and borrowing some from other states too, uh, in terms of the, the types of requirements and they're ranging all the way from source control through industrial pretreatment, all the way through um, operator training requirements, uh, public communication requirements, and then the treatment technologies and water quality requirements in between. Yeah. Okay. Where is Colorado at in terms of, and it's, I think it's great that, that we took the time while we had the time to plan it out instead of being behind the eight ball. Like you said, once, you know, realizing that it, eventually this is, is going to be uh, wanted or needed in the state. So is, I like that approach. Where's Colorado at in terms of, are we on the leading edge of this? Are we, what are other states? I know I've heard of this in California, but where's Colorado at in relation to other states on this? So uh, a lot of states are working on potable reuse regulations. Um, for example, Florida, Arizona, California are all working on them. Uh, Texas is the only state that has an operating direct potable reuse system. Uh, and Big Spring, Texas, it's the Colorado River Municipal Water District. It's a different Colorado River, not the big one that starts in Colorado and heads southwest. It's the Texas version of the Colorado River but they call theirs a raw water production facility because essentially what they're trying to do is take reclaimed water from the water resource recovery facility and treat it to the same standards as their existing raw water for their water treatment plant. And when they decided to move forward with that, oh, maybe eight or 10 years ago, the state of Texas 
quickly had to scramble and, and put some regulations into place uh, in reaction to that. And so they've got a system, they've got a structure in place. They largely still handle things a lot on kind of a case-by-case -case basis in Texas, but they do have the regulatory structure in place. Now, others have started uh, in earnest developing theirs. Um, so we're, it, fair to say, I think we're on the, the front edge of uh, actually adopting the regulations. A lot of states are working on them. Good. Yeah, it's weird that they're, uh, they're two Colorado rivers. I think I read somewhere they're Clear Creek. There's like, I think it was nine. It was either seven or nine uh, creeks named Clear Creek in Colorado. You always think you got the, or, I, there's a bunch of big dry, or dry creeks or, uh, yeah, it's amazing how many uh, creeks are named the same thing in this, in this state and I guess other states too. Yeah, right. Um, uh, and along those lines, a few years ago, I was trying to have some fun with a presentation. So I looked up different places that have water in the name, different cities or communities that have water in the name, uh -huh. kind of where you might want to move to, where you might not want to move to. So there was like sweet water. That sounded pretty good. Uh, there was bad good. water. I thought, well, you know, that's not very good PR. Yeah, that's, uh, I'd much rather go to sweet water than bad water. <laughs> What are the challenges and opportunities for DPR in Colorado? I know you mentioned public uh, education, and I imagine the, the demonstration trailer is part of that. But what are some of the challenges that, that we face in, in getting this uh, done? And what are some of the opportunities for, for Colorado? Yeah, a lot of the opportunities and challenges uh, and kind of critical success factors, if you will, boil down to three primary areas. Uh, having a regulatory structure in place, having the technology uh, in place or available to you, and community acceptance. And we can talk about each one of those individually. We also, one of the things that can hinder reuse, whether it's non-potable reuse or potable reuse, is just kind of the alternatives available to the community uh, and the cost effectiveness of reuse relative to those other alternatives. Um, cost isn't the only factor, of course, that's going to govern uh, a reuse decision, but it certainly is, is one of them. So uh, regulatory, we need to have the regulatory structure in place for DPR that's now underway. And in Colorado should be in place in October, again, if all goes well, at the rulemaking hearing with CDPHE and the Water Quality Control Commission. And then there's the technology. You can think about that in terms of treatment technology, which, of course, is critically important, and the reliability of that technology is also critically important. And the way that we monitor that reliability and the water quality coming out is also a key part of that technology. And a lot of the work that's going on now is refining and honing in and improving the monitoring technology so we can be absolutely sure that every drop of water that we're going to send out into the community is safe and meets the standards. Uh, the third that I mentioned is community acceptance. And that's uh, certainly not to be taken for granted and that's something where it's pretty easy to uh, uh, kind of dig yourself a hole if you don't watch out what you're doing, if you're not deliberate about that and forward thinking about that community outreach. And so the trailer absolutely is a big part of that, helping us get that community awareness and community understanding and educational opportunities that go right along with that. And we find that that goes a long way in yeah. achieving that community acceptance. Yeah, I think... Uh... NASA, I read something a while back on, uh, I think they've been doing this for a while, recycling uh, urine on the space shuttle and purifying it, you know, so it's, I know the technology's there, I, I think it's just uh, getting people to, and I think it's getting better, people are realizing 
the technologies out there to to get to the the levels that you know safe levels drinking water levels but yeah, it is a seems like it's been years in the making of getting that uh, more mainstream you know the technology is absolutely there um no doubt about that we can purify uh, just about any water but certainly reclaimed water from a municipal wastewater treatment plant we can purify that to drinking water standards absolutely there's no question that the technology is there and there's continuous improvement improvements in that as well and you're right the astronauts have been doing this for a while right so they got it figured out yeah um, there was an interesting uh, water research foundation project a few years back that looked essentially at uh, trying to characterize and address risks associated with potable reuse. And they reached out to a whole range of different industries like bridge builders, right? How do you handle risks in bridge design and construction? They also reached out to NASA uh, to talk about how they've been doing it with the space shuttle and the space uh, station as well. Really fascinating stuff to consider how they address those risks. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, thanks, John. I think we are uh, now at our mid-show which today for the mid-show segment, I have an article I want to just kind of paraphrase by Gianna Melillo, and it's uh, how excessive protein consumption can pollute drinking water. So I read this the other day. I thought it was interesting. Uh, it says Americans consume some of the highest total and per capita amounts of protein in the world. New research shows the country's water quality might suffer as a result. It says balancing individual protein consumption can reduce the level of nitrogen pollution in U.S. aquatic systems by 12%, according to new research published in Frontiers in Ecology and the Environment. This could also lead to a 4% overall reduction in nitrogen in air and water. Through when protein consumption outpaces physiological demand, uh, excess amino acids are degraded in the human body and nitrogen is excreted and released to the environment, mainly in the form of urea, researchers at the University of California, Davis, explained. Uh, elevated nitrogen levels in water can lead to eutrophication or excessive nutrient richness, which contributes to high plant life growth and decreased animal life due to lack of oxygen. Excess nitrogen can also contribute to toxic algal blooms and have negative effects on drinking water supplies. So it, the article is longer, but I think the it just struck me as kind of a, a new take on, you know, we, we talk about treatment, we talk about source control, but changing people's diet to, uh, to actually change the nutrient levels I had never thought of. Or sometimes I think uh, we forget to think about where all this stuff is, is actually coming from and, and uh, the effects it has. But uh, what's your take on that? Are you going to become a vegetarian and uh, reduce the nitrogen levels in our, in our water? You know, I like to try and do my part. Uh, but I'm not sure if I'm, I'm going to go there. Yeah, that's uh, where I'm at, too. I'll read your article and think it through a little more. All right. Sounds good. I don't think I, I don't think I'm ready to take that step either, but I did think it was interesting. But, yeah, let's get back to uh, to direct potable reuse. And I want to talk more about this trailer. I've seen pictures of it in uh, different magazine articles. I've never actually visited the trailer, but maybe you could just give uh, listeners and myself an idea of what it is what it does and, and what it's for. Sure thing. So the trailer is the um, Pure Water Colorado mobile direct potable reuse demonstration. 
and there's a lot in that. It's the, the third DPR demonstration in the state of Colorado. Uh, it's easy to think of it as the first, but it's actually the third. Denver Water, back in the late 1980s and early 1990s, actually pioneered potable reuse for much of the industry. And they were way out ahead of their time with a fixed site demonstration for potable reuse that's sited now where their non-potable recycling plant is today. Wow. The second DPR demo was also hosted by Denver Water on behalf of a regional coalition in 2018. That was also its fixed site. Um, and now the third one in Colorado is the mobile DPR trailer. And the great part about it is that it is mobile, so it can continue on for years and years, uh, moving from one facility or one community to the next. All right. So what's the... Uh... So the idea is you take the mobile trailer to the to the local wastewater facility and, and prove out or show the community that it's possible to, to take that from wastewater to drinking water? That's right. Uh, the project was really spearheaded by Colorado Springs Utilities, and they really were the big champion behind it. So kudos to them for the vision and foresight. They see the potential for potable reuse in their future. And they wanted to get ahead of the curve in terms of public understanding and public awareness uh, rather than doing that in kind of an abrupt fashion if they, you know, if or when they decide to move forward with potable reuse. So kudos to them. Uh, the other key partner in the project, uh, along with Colorado Springs Utilities and Corolla Engineers, was the Colorado School of Mines. Uh, they did uh, the construction and assembly of the trailer, of the processes inside the trailer, uh, and then also have helped with some of the operations and troubleshooting of the trailer um, while it was down in Colorado Springs. And now that it's uh, up operating in Aurora at Aurora Sand Creek uh, Water Reclamation Facility. So it's about a 30 foot long trailer, um, a pretty standard kind of trailer on the outside, although it's been branded with the Pure Water Colorado uh, logo and a uh, whole theme to really get that point across to people. It has a picture of a mountain water supply, a mountain lake, um, and it talks about recycling water for a sustainable Colorado future, which is really the goal uh, of reuse and potable reuse in particular. Uh, inside the trailer, though, um, it processes about five gallons per minute or about 7,000 gallons per day. Uh, so pretty small scale, but large enough to you know, look real and, and allow us to do the types of tests that we want to do uh, in terms of water quality and, and process performance. Um, the processes uh, are all... Uh, uh, we call it carbon-based advanced treatment for the treatment train rather than membrane-based. Uh, membrane-based might be reverse osmosis, which is great at removing all kinds of constituents, uh, but it produces a brine that's particularly difficult to deal with to manage or dispose in inland locations like Colorado. It certainly can be done, but it's an added challenge uh, for how to dispose of that brine. And it also uh, is not as efficient in terms of water production. If you do RO treatment, you're going to put out somewhere, you know, 20%, maybe down to 10% of the water that you process is going to go out with the brine. And so you're not going to get 100 gallons out if you put 100 gallons in. With a carbon-based advanced treatment process, you essentially do, we're pretty close to it. Uh, it's uh, inside the trailer. Uh, we start out with kind of a pre-filter in case uh, the facility it might be at doesn't have filtration. Then it goes into ozonation. And targeting an ozone to TOC dose as the way, uh, or a ratio of ozone to TOC as a way of controlling the ozone dose. And then that helps prepare the water for biologically active filtration. A biologically, biologically active filtration is 
the GAC media, but spent GAC. We're not trying to get adsorptive capacity in there. It's just trying to make a home for the bugs um, in the biofiltration columns. And then it moves on to ultrafiltration, followed by a GAC with adsorptive GAC media, and then followed by ultraviolet uh, light disinfection. We can do advanced oxidation by adding in peroxide or another oxidant in at the UV step. And then there's a final chlorination step uh, for the remainder of the viruses and to get the inactivation credit on that. And so all of that happens without generating a waste stream that needs to be disposed. Uh, there are backwashes of the biologically active filtration columns and of the GAC, um, but that's like a regular water treatment plant backwash cycle. There's um, no disposal needed for that. It's uh, interesting. I, I just assumed it was a RO process. I didn't realize that you were uh, those processes that weren't RO doing the work there. So yeah, that, that I might have to check this thing out. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and so there is there is a lot of work going on in the industry, and this is a big part of it in um, advancing these processes to remove the pathogens or inactivate them and remove the chemical constituents including things like pharmaceuticals, uh, personal care products, and so forth, uh, without the use of membranes, without creating that brine. And so this is the world's first mobile demonstration that we're aware of for DPR that uses a carbon-based treatment process, doesn't use RO. Uh, so that's pretty cool. It's a pretty unique thing. Yeah, that is impressive. Where, uh, where all has this trailer been? Where's the What towns has this trailer uh, visited? Or what's been made with the water that uh, was treated by this trailer? All good questions. So the trailer was constructed by Colorado School of Mines uh, at their Denver lab. They actually have a Denver facility near I-70 in Quebec. Uh, it was built there. And then uh, it first went to Colorado Springs Utilities to their J.D. Phillips Water Resource Recovery Facility up on the north end of town. And since they were the primary uh, kind of driver behind the project, and also put significant uh, funding and in-kind time into it, they got to use it first. And so it was first deployed to J.D. Phillips at um, starting in June of 2021. And then it stayed there until May of this year. Uh, so about a year there. And then it moved on to Aurora to their Sand Creek Water Reclamation Facility. And that's where it is today. And Aurora is operating that, um, taking a look at uh, kind of how it treats the, the tertiary water that's produced at the Sand Creek facility. So it's been two places so far, but it's very much intended to move from place to place and operate at different facilities. Uh, it's got the ability to treat, uh, essentially should be any type of secondary or tertiary reclaimed water from a water resource recovery facility. Uh, however, it does not have any way of removing nitrates. And so if it was a facility uh, that was feeding it water that didn't have denitrification, then we need to deal with that uh, a different way in the trailer. And it's got the flexibility to add new processes as well. For example, they may try a split stream kind of side-by-side -side RO versus the carbon-based treatment process just to compare and contrast those. Well, what has been the, uh, the most interesting thing you've, uh, you've learned or, or come across in, in, in this whole process? Well, a lot of interesting things. You know, it's, it's really, it's performed exceedingly well, and that's been uh, tremendously helpful. And we've gotten also a tremendous support, both from the community and people that have toured the facility and understood kind of the processes, the technology, the science behind it, but also from state agencies like CDPHE has been a, a great partner 
in terms of not only developing the regs, but also, um, you know, helping us make sure that uh, the water will be purified, will meet drinking water standards, and, and been great partners about that. The Colorado Water Conservation Board has also been a great partner. They've provided some funding uh, for this through the state water plan grant uh, system because they see the potential for potable reuse to also help address our future water supply challenges in the state. And so it fits very nicely with the state water plan. And in fact, the state water plan has a, a nice section on water reuse and the importance of it, as well as some of the uh, basin implementation plans like the South Platte and Metro Basin Implementation Plan from earlier this year has a nice section on reuse and uh, highlights the DPR trailer um, as well. So the most interesting thing that we've seen, uh, you know, part of it is that the education really works. Uh, while the trailer was down in Colorado Springs, uh, one tour visitor uh, came in and, you know, unprompted said, I'm not going to drink that water, which was fine, right? We offered samples of the water uh, after uh, the tour. People were able to sample the water and they were able to sample it side by side with today's tap water versus the purified water from the trailer. And so Colorado Springs Utilities did a really nice job with outreach and education and, and set that up really well. And so that person that said, you know, I'm not going to drink the water, fine. We weren't, you know, requiring anybody to sample the water. But after she took the tour and after she understood the technology, then she did sample both of them. She actually was a reporter down in the Springs. She did take the tour. She did sample both the traditional water and the purified water from the trailer and wrote an article that said, I tried them both. I couldn't take taste the difference. I couldn't tell any difference. Wow. So it kind of shows you that, you know, a little information goes a long way. And that was yeah. a, a good success story. Yeah. And I think just the whole demonstration concept, I mean, we're, I think at heart, most people are, are show me type, you know, mentality where you can look at plans, you can look at 3D models, you can look at, you know, chemical equations, but you get in a trailer and see the process, you know, see the water coming in and look at the water going out, see the processes in the middle. And that goes so much further than, than any of the, any of those other things. So I can see the, I can see why this would be effective when you show people, look here, it's actually happening right in front of your eyes, you know? That's right. And so while Colorado Springs Utilities, their primary driver for investing in the trailer was for public outreach, public awareness, it has other benefits as well. I mentioned the three key areas of reuse success are uh, community acceptance, regulations, and technology. And the trailer really helps us with all three of those areas. Helps demonstrate the technologies, the carbon-based advanced treatment for the regulators, for CDPHE to see the success. And again, you know, don't just tell me it's going to work, but show me with the water quality results that come out of there. Uh, in terms of technology, it also helps validate that, both the treatment technologies and the monitoring and making sure that we're making good, pure water uh, every moment that it's running. So that's been really great. And also giving us the chance to kind of test the limits of those technologies, right? Refine things like um, the sizing of equipment or uh, empty bed contact time in the, the filters, the GAC uh, modules. Uh, so that's that's been um, really helpful in so many different ways. And that demonstration is really what it is. Yeah. It's demonstrating the technology for all those reasons, all those benefits. Cool. Well, yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for the info. Is there anything I, I didn't ask you that you want to leave uh, the listeners with or, or anything you'd, you'd like to, to close out with before the big uh, end of show quiz? Um, well, a couple things. One, we didn't talk about water rights. Water rights is a critical part of 
the ability to reuse water in Colorado because of our water rate system and, and how every drop is accounted for. And so your ability to reuse water, whether that's potable or non-potable or any type of reuse, depends a bit on or entirely on where that water came from, where it originally was sourced from. And so for the most part, uh, non-native water, uh, meaning transbasin water, um, that then was used to generate the wastewater is fully reusable versus in-basin surface water is not fully reusable or not reusable at all because you owe that water as a return flow back to downstream users. A deep groundwater generally is fully reusable and so forth. And there's exceptions to that, but water rights is one thing that you need to pay close attention to. Uh, the other is salinity management. Uh, one of the things that RO treatment does that's great is that it removes salinity or salts from uh, the water, total dissolved solids. And every time you cycle water through the urban cycle, it picks up some more total dissolved solids or TDS, if I can have an acronym. Uh, so you need, if you're doing non-RO treatment, like the carbon-based advanced treatment, then you find need to find another way to manage the salinity in the system, either with blending or other ways of getting that salt out of the system uh, so that it doesn't keep building up in that continuous loop. Um, and I guess the other thing I'd add is that potable reuse is not gonna be the right answer for every community. It's necessarily a, a local decision that should be based on the available supply alternatives for that community and local values as well. But that said, we wanna make sure that it's a viable option for anybody that wants to consider it and or implement it. They may not do it, but we want it to be available and a viable option for them. And there's a lot of good work going on now uh, to make that very much a reality. Yeah, it's a, a tool in the toolkit, as they say, you know, like I think any, any solutions we can get to uh, help us solve the, you know, supply the water needs that, that people have, I think, yeah, we need all that we can get. So I'm, I'm glad you, uh, you came today and shared this information about direct potable reuse and the uh, trailer. I don't know if people can go to, uh, can people go to Aurora and check it out or has it got any scheduled stops on a tour people could check it out at or? Uh... So Aurora is not doing uh, a lot of uh, public tours. Um, they're focusing a little bit more on the science technology, but as the trailer moves on from place to place, uh, it will be uh, available for tours in other locations as well. Cool. And so one of the things, you know, people could get in touch with me or uh, perhaps uh, the School of Mines, uh, Dr. Zahi Kaff, um, will be overseeing it as it moves from place to place. Nice. So, yeah, be on the lookout at your next, uh, maybe they have a food truck festival with a bunch of food trucks. And, and then right next to there will be the direct potable reuse trailer where you can get some water. But uh, be on the lookout for the... Uh, the water trailer, direct potable reuse demonstration trailer. What was it called? Pure Water Colorado. That's right. Trailer. That's uh, right. And you, you'd asked about beverages too, and we did uh, make some beer with the purified water while it was down in Colorado Springs. How did that also taste? Some hard seltzer and some soda. Oh. Uh, it, it tasted great. It came out really great. We uh, got the chance to uh, pick the beer style, name the beer, design the beer label. Uh, it was pretty fun. So it's called okay. Recycle Amber. Recycle by, Amber. That was my next question. What style you went with? So you went with an yep. amber. Yeah, uh, recycle amber. I like that. And that one was brewed by Storybook Brewing down there, and they uh, partnered. The Colorado Springs Utilities partnered with a few breweries down there. Nice, pretty fun. Yeah. Well, good. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks again, John. It's been interesting. Are you ready for the end of show quiz? Ready as I'll ever be. All right. This is a DPR quiz. 
since we're talking about DPR, so that means all of the answers will either start with a D, a P, or an R. Um, so first question, what famous rock band had a drummer with only one arm? And uh, if you know, you can say it. If not, I'll give you uh, some multiple choices here. Uh, my guess would be Def Leppard. Oh, man, you didn't even know the choices. It is Def Leppard. You are correct Woo. with that. All right, one for one. Question number two, John. Every episode of Seinfeld contains an image or reference to what superhero? An image or reference to what superhero? Uh, oh, I already admitted my lack of superhero knowledge. That's right. I can give you some multiple choice can on do, this. Can then. I do 50-50 or phone a friend? Uh, well, let me give you the multiple choice, and uh, that might help you. It's uh, choice are A, Superman, B, Spider-Man, C, Daredevil, or D, Punisher. What uh, do they have an image or reference to in every episode of Seinfeld? I did not know this. I just I do not know that either. My guess is going to be Spider-Man because it's kind of the urban thing. Right. Well, I'm sorry. It is Superman, which I'm going to have to go back and watch Seinfeld reruns and see if I can find all these Superman references because they don't jump out at me. But I guess. Uh, all right. So you're 50 percent. You can be on the uh, you can be on the winning side here if you get this third question. I know you're not a superhero. How are you with Muppets? Are you good with Muppets? Pretty good. Okay, good. All right. Well, which Muppet was a king prawn that later became a spokesman for Long John Silver's restaurants? Which Muppet was a king prawn that later became a spokesman for Long John Silver's? I can give you uh, multiple choice if you want, or if you want, if you know it, you can just take a stab at it right now. Uh, multiple choice would be good, but I, I want to go back to the last one. You said everyone starts with DP or R. The Superman doesn't start with a DP or R, does yeah. it? Yeah. Well, you got me on that one. <laughs> Throwing me. All right. We'll throw that one out. We'll throw that <laughs> one out. I don't know where the S's came from. Wow. I thought I had quality check this quiz, but clearly I have not. All right. You got me on a technicality. You're one for one. If you get this, you will be two for two. Uh, the answer choices are... Is it A, Rizzo, uh, B, Ralph, C, Peppy, or D, Robin? Which uh, Muppet is a king prawn? Uh, I'm going to go with answer C. You're going to go with Peppy? Yep. You are correct. Peppy the prawn, Rizzo right. is a rat, Ralph is a dog, and Robin, I guess, is Kermit's uh, nephew, uh, so he must be a frog. But, uh, yeah, Peppy the Prawn, and I, I guess he's a spokesman for Long John Silvers, too. I did not know that. So you are two for two. We threw out a question on a technicality. Congratulations for acing the end-of-show quiz, John. Thank you. <laughs> thanks again for being here to our listeners. Uh, thanks for listening uh, to our sponsors, uh, Rocky Mountain Water Environment Association and Colorado Wastewater Utility Council. Uh, thanks for your sponsorship of the Streaming Water Podcast. If uh, listeners, if you have any ideas for topics or guests or have any comments about the show, you can email those to mail at, no, wait, what is it? No, streamingwater at mail.com. If you can give us a rating, also, this would be helpful. If you like the podcast, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to the podcast from. Uh, thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. 
on the Streaming Water Podcast. Thanks, everyone.